For my ally is the Force. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings so we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Don't know the power of the dark side. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. I got a bad feeling about this. to episode 275 of Blue Harvest. I'm your host, Halls Burkhart. And our buddy Will can't make it this week. Uh, as you guys probably know, having listened to the last couple episodes, he is in the middle of moving to a new house, and he was under the impression that his internet service would be up and running today so he could podcast, but it is not. So we will have to get his thoughts on chapter 10 of the mandalorian uh next week when we do chapter 11 but it's not just me as you guys also know i've been lining up guests for this season of the mandalorian and we got a great one tonight she is from the canto bite dispatch the pop culture hour and vindicated a vin diesel podcast it's our good buddy emily lind Hello. How's it going? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited. Yeah, I'm, um, I don't know. It, it just kind of worked out. Like, I think this is a good one. I think this is a good one to have you on I, for. Yeah, that the, I ended up on, like, the horror movie episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that kind of worked out pretty well. You know, like, when I was sitting down, you know, it's because it's hard to figure out, like, with as little information as there is out there, like, oh, this person would be good for this episode, and et cetera, et cetera, right? So uh, I, I, I like this. I think this will work out nicely. Um, so we will be talking um, episode, or not episode, chapter 10 of The Mandalorian, The Passenger, this evening, and a couple of interesting um, sort of rumors that have cropped up over the past 24 hours or so um uh include you know uh detailing some information about possible future disney plus shows in the star wars universe <coughs> um before we jump into chapter 10 what do you think about chapter 9 i mean i know because oh, i've been listening to stuff but <laughs> I, I loved it. I'm like, I'm such a sucker for 
for Western tropes. And also, for as much as I know you don't like him, I the Timothy Oliphant and his whole scuzziness, I just love him. And I was so excited to, like, to see him as a sheriff again. Ugh. I mean... This is, I mean, I, I talked about it last week. I went into this season expecting not to like him and his character, and they caused me to do a complete 180 on it. So, you know, props to them. I can't, I can't hate on it. It would, I would be lying if I was. It's, it's, a, I feel like that's a hard character not to like. Yeah. And it's nice to see, uh, sort of a unified, oh shit, that was cool about that character. Um, I love Star Wars, social media's ability to immediately make a lot of cool gifts out of stuff. (laughs) You know, it's funny when the movies come out because they'll be real bad quality because they're from like, you know, bootlegs of the movie and stuff. But with Disney Plus, man, they get perfect looking gifts out within 24 hours. So I've been seeing a lot of Cobb Vanth on my timeline and I'm, I'm not complaining. So, um, this episode was directed by Peyton Reed, who I think for the general public would would be most familiar as the director of the two Ant-Man movies. Oh, that's right. Um, What else has Peyton Reed directed? This is where I should have done my homework. Um, Uh, Bring it on. Okay, and what's that movie with um, Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn where they break up? Is it called The Breakup? It is, it's called The Breakup. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, yes Man, which I don't quite remember, and Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, uh, you know, bringing in one of the, another one of the MCU director family members in for this episode. And I feel like, you know, if, if you're familiar with his previous work, um, I got a little of his tone in this episode. Uh, some of the, the humor was was pretty spot on. There's one moment early on when the Mando is negotiating with that alien who's, who's holding Baby Yoda captive. And mm-hmm. the alien wants his jetpack. And so, like, Mando puts it down. The alien starts to walk off, and then you just see him shoot off into the air. And then, like, a beat later, the alien hits the ground. And, like, Baby Yoda's face when that's going on, so funny. The the look that Baby Yoda gives him, and then the Mando does, like, the little, like, half shrug. Mm-hmm. They do some really good suit acting in this show. Like... The the stuff they're able to like convey with just body language really makes you see that you can do a show where you don't see the main character's face for most of it and, and still get a lot of emotion and stuff across. For the most part, between like the body language and the, the camera work and, of course, the music, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I kind of forget about the fact that we're not seeing his face. Yeah. It, it's that that element of this show, which uh, going into it, I would have imagined would be the trickiest thing to tackle. They seem to be doing it pretty effortless, effortlessly. Yeah, like like going back to last week when when Cobb Vanth first shows up, mm-hmm. and they do the they do that close it that close up on on Mando, 
and like the music is right there and like you can see like the like what the fuck's going on look on his face yeah just do that it uh, it's so good um so i'll be honest when the episode kicked off and mando is flying through the desert and then it you know sort of shows this crew setting a trap my first thought is oh that's going to be like boba fett's crew he's about to set a trap to get the armor back but like I said last week, could be a possibility. There's no more, no furthering of the Boba Fett storyline this week. And I was prepared for that. I'm, I'm, I was fine with it as well. <clears throat> you know, it will come back up at some point. I can yeah, be patient. Yeah, They're not just going to, that wasn't just, you know, just for nothing. That's like, they're just setting that up for the long run. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, I, I don't know. I guess this is sort of a, a good segue to a little bit of an aside so last night i don't know exactly what time it was i I feel like it was quite late at night deadline releases a story about uh the mandalorian season three and a boba fett spinoff and in that story they say that because of how you know secretive lucasfilm is they can't get you know really get great information but that it is possible that a Boba Fett miniseries could start filming as soon as next week. Um, With there being a short break after that films and then production on season three of Mandalorian would kick off. Wow. And also in that story, um, they said that as far as they can figure out, the Gina Carano spinoff rumors are false. Oh, thank God. So, uh, big win as far as I'm concerned, as that article goes. I was pretty stoked with the the entirety of that article. I mean, I feel a little <coughs> bad for Katie Sackoff, but... Yeah, give us a Bo-Katan spinoff. Yeah, do Bo-Katan and anybody else. Um, then, uh, also in there, was some information about the Leslie Headland Disney Plus series that, you know, was announced, and I believe officially... Uh, like through official channels. Yeah. Um, and mentioned that from what they've heard, the Leslie Headland series has a strong focus on martial arts. I, I sort of like, I don't know what that means. I don't either. Like, and I don't know if you remember when the Leslie Headland thing first broke, part of it was that, from what sources were hearing was that it was uh, completely, how did they put it? It was in an alternate timeline, which made people think like, oh, is it like a what if story? Is it not considered canon? But what I think, and still after reading this, this latest article believe is that when they say alternate timeline, it means a part of the Star Wars timeline separate than anything that's being produced now. So not like, post return of the jedi or you know sequel trilogy or anything like that it's going to be sort of in a newer uh, area of the timeline yeah that that makes more sense than doing a like what if no man that gets like i already have to explain to my dad that the mandalorian isn't boba fett if i have to explain <laughs> to my dad that um well, this all this stuff doesn't really happen in Star Wars. It's a what-if story, Dad. That's not going to go over well. So keep it simple, I think. Yeah, 
I wonder if, and I don't know why, maybe it's just sort of like some of the, the promo stuff that we've seen from High Republic. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think like the martial arts thing makes me think like maybe that's where we're going. I I could be down with that in a big way. You know, I'm I've always been sort of fascinated with Star Wars ancient history, you know, like I was a big Knights of the Old Republic fan, Tales of the Jedi and stuff. So if we were to get a <clears throat> a, a Disney Plus show set in the High Republic era, I would be all about it. Uh, and it would just further my interest in that whole project, a project that I'm already pretty interested in as it is. So yeah, I could, I could get into that, <clears throat> but that was sort of the, uh, the rumors that broke and, you know, I, rumors are such a weird nebulous thing, but when it comes from like your variety or your Hollywood reporter or your deadline, I feel like those are usually not all the times, usually a little more reliable. So I figured we just toss those in. Uh, now, I have a question for you, which is when it comes to Boba Fett, mm-hmm. like an impossible, an impossible spinoff. Now, granted, we don't know where Boba Fett's going to end up at the end of the Mandalorian. Right. But whatever that is, like, would you want the show to pick up from there? Or would you want, like, the adventures of Boba Fett climbing out of the Sarlacc and whatever he's been up to since then? So that's a good question. It's hard to say without knowing if that story progresses anymore in Mandalorian season two, right? Mm -hmm. Because my initial thought is even going as far back as the Disney buyout of Lucasfilm and, you know, possibly Boba Fett showing up in a post solo film or something. I've never been as interested in a, Boba Fett before the original trilogy movies as I have been in Boba Fett post Return of the Jedi. So my first thought is like, I'd like to see him post Return of the Jedi. But like, I feel like introducing the story elements they have in Mandalorian, they got to, if it's going to be post Return of the Jedi, they kind of got to hash that out. You know, the, the whole armor thing and all that before he could get his own spinoff, if that makes sense. Yeah. Unless it's a spinoff that is heavily tied in to the Mandalorian. Like, if it picked up where the stinger from last episode um, ended, and I just don't see how it, it... Like, you could do that in a comic book crossover, you know what I'm saying? Like, where you get to the end of a comic book, and it's like, well, if you want the next part of the story, you got to go pick up Excalibur number 27. <laughs> But uh, that's kind of hard to pull off in, like, a Disney Plus series, I think. Yeah, and it would be, I guess it would be weird to do a Boba Fett show where he's never in the armor. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I want to know how he got out of the Sarlacc, but to me, that's, at this point, kind of a simple explanation. Like, I think... He got out. Yeah, he got out, (laughs) you know? So... I feel like that could just be a line of dialogue or a short story or, you know, there's plenty of ways that they could cover that. I kind of like to think that the Sarlacc is like the whale in Pinocchio mm-hmm. and they're just like people living in there. Got yeah, it's like monstro. Living room and shit. Little, like a candle on a little uh, teacup. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
Um, so now that we've gotten the rumors and the uh, Boba Fett of it all out of the way, what would you think about episode ten, the the passenger? It was it was a lot of fun. Um, and okay, can I get on my soapbox for a little bit? Absolutely. Which is, I'm so sick of people like dismissing episodes as being filler when they don't like because they there haven't been any more answers about like who baby yoda is and there's no like not you know we don't know like what's going on with moff gideon and the dark saber and the thing to remember is that's not the show this is the, sh- the show is the mandalorian on adventures with the little baby yoda and sometimes we find out some more things about other people but it's sort of like if you were if like during the x-files when there was a monster of the week episode, you were just like, ah, that's just filler. Like, no, that's most of the show. Yeah. And, and see, the thing is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a point that Steele brought up several times leading into this season. And he's turned out to be right. The filler episodes have paid off in season two already, you know, like last year, episode five, which was pretty widely regarded as a quote unquote filler episode big time paid off in this in the season opener and then episode six the prisoner uh, that tied into this episode really well and the one thing i can understand with that whole thing is you know the week to week format like when you when you have these answers you want to know and these specific things you really want to see i can understand being like well that didn't really give me what i wanted but I think in the long run, when when people go back to watch, like bin, binge watch both seasons of The Mandalorian, that that feeling will be there a lot less. As someone who watched Lost week to week and then has binge watched those seasons multiple times since, the bad episodes don't feel as bad when you don't have to wait a whole week. And in right. my opinion, this isn't even a bad episode, so... No, it's tons of fun. And there's like creepy like ice spiders. Mm-hmm. And we've got frog people. Uh, the alien effects in this season continued to blow my mind. We had the Cyclops guy last week. We got the frog lady this week who, by the way, interesting bit of trivia, was portrayed by the same lady who was Queel. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and like, they just nail it. Cause there's a, there's a fair amount of sort of, um, costume reuse in the Mandalorian. Like the guy we were talking about earlier, the one that wants the Mando's jetpack, uh, that's an alien from the force awakens In the force awakens when Ray is sitting at the table, like scrubbing the parts that she just salvaged, he comes up and hits the table and like gets onto her. Um, Oh, okay. So that's sort of a... It's not 100%. Definitely the face part, the head prosthetic is the same one. So, you know, you un, I can understand why they do that because even though it is a high-budgeted live-action TV show, they don't have, you know, a $250 million budget like a Star Wars movie does. So they do reuse some stuff. But when they go into it and create a new creation, it looks so good. I... I'm so impressed. And like the, the, the Dr. Mandible who Mm. Amy Sedaris is playing cards with. I, 
I do wonder if he's a real doctor. I wonder. I hope he is. I, a doctor of what? Because if he's a medical doctor and he's the only doctor on Tatooine, I would die of something stupid. I'd die of a common cold because I'm not going to see a giant fucking praying mantis for medical advice, man. The fact that his name is Dr. Mandible. It's so I good. Love, I love Star Wars so much. That's such a stupid fucking He-Man name. It's great. See, this is the thing. I love when Star Wars gets weird, and this episode got weird. There's all sorts of weirdness in this episode. Um, the and <clears throat> you know, when you sit down to say watch the Last Jedi, there's some weird in the Last Jedi. Partially, that's why I like that movie so much, you know. But it's it's sort of in small chunks, so you might get a few scenes with the caretakers or Luke, you know, milking a sea cow for green milk. You know, and I like those weird elements. But when you have a, you know, eight episode season, you can devote a whole episode to just getting weird, man. And I think that's cool. Yeah. And I like how like the the aliens in this episode are really alien. And I always like that. Yeah, because it, it would be real easy. And we saw a little of it in season one to make it just uh, humans with with face paint or, you know, some stuff slapped on their face, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like I, I love like Star Trek and I always will, but you know, that was all cause the, like, they don't, they, I mean that show, especially it was a TV show in the eighties for next generation. They didn't have much money. So it's just, Hey, this guy is blue and that guy is green with a couple dots on his face. Mm -hmm. and, and that's all he can do. The money they had, they did have for the budget had to be split over like what 20 plus episodes per season yeah. and and so when you do an eight episode season and you have a bunch of money like you can do a lot more focused stuff i feel like and <clears throat> they really went out with it and i love that out of 10 episodes of the mandalorian we've gotten three with amy sedaris's character already oh my god i'm so scared that something's gonna happen to her Look, look, I do you want to hear one of my deepest, darkest fears? That Boba Fett's going to kill her? Yes, and it better <laughs> not happen. Like, so I'm not expecting Boba Fett to become super cool anti-hero. Like, I'm okay with them making him a villain in this series. Mm -hmm. You know, I know in the old EU stuff, that's the route they went was eventually he did become an anti-hero. He joined the bad, or the good guys and stuff. <laughs> and I'm not expecting them to go that route, even though I would love it. But the route I really don't want them to go is like Edgelord Boba Fett. You know um, what I mean? Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, recent Boba Fett stories uh, have been in that vein. Not in, you know, live action, but in comics and stuff. So I'm just worried that they would do that. And if they do that, like, that is going to bum me out so much. Uh, I, I, I just hope they don't do that. Yeah, like, like it could be, it could be Boba. Like, it, like, obviously it could be, like, Moff Gideon. I just, I don't want it to happen. She's so funny. And I love how much she loves Baby Yoda. Yeah, and, and like, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's necessary. Like, I can't, I can't imagine a storyline where you have any character kill her off that you couldn't 
progress the story in a similar way without doing that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does seem too mean. Yeah, yeah, it's, it does. It seems a little too, like, sadistic and mean for such a, char- a well-liked, as far as I can tell, well-liked character and such a good character with such a great actress. Like, uh, f- for one, I don't see why you would want to uh, write out your opportunity to use Amy Sedaris anytime you could in the future. Uh, so yeah, I don't I don't want them to do that. Um, I, I love her. I love how much crap she gives the Mando, especially in this episode. Yeah, <laughs> I like when. So you know they they took the big chunk of dragon meat last episode, and she's like, "Yo, we gotta cook that," and she's getting onto the droid cooking it, being like, "I like mine medium rare." And I was like, "Yeah, that's right." <laughs> I I like that that droid seems just like a rotisserie droid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want one of those for real. <clears throat> um, so you know the whole storyline is, and I the one thing I could see maybe people having some cl- complaints about, but it's such a common thing in TV and in storytelling that I, I don't let it bother me. Is is the convenience of it all? Right, he gets back to. Moss Eisley and he's like I don't have any more leads on uh finding some Mandalorians and he just happens to say this in front of Dr. Mandible who's like oh Mandalorians these super hidden guys like and has the information (laughs) right then you know but I don't fault him for it man you you have eight episodes to tell this story you have limited time you know 40 to 50 minutes whatever it is so you got to keep it moving yeah like I don't want I don't want the next six episodes to him be like going around like trying to find somebody who knows something about the Mandalorians I want him to find some goddamn Mandalorians yeah yeah for real and then <clears throat> um so his whole job is they tell him where it is but for the information he has to transport this frog lady and her container of eggs and he can't use hyperspace because if you use hyperspace it'll kill the eggs and these eggs are the last sp- I just watched the episode before we re- re-recorded. Uh, it's the last spawn of her life cycle and the last of her bloodline. So I've seen some confusion, right? And I was anxious or not, I was interested to get your input. Do you think this frog lady, her husband and those eggs are the last of their species as a whole or just the last of her family line? I they they say her line a couple of times, right. so I think it's just like her family. Because if it was just the species as a whole, that gets a quite a bit darker with what Baby Yoda gets up to in the next Dude, few minutes. You know, I really okay. Like, I, this is my one problem with this episode is I wish it had just been Baby Yoda trying to eat the eggs. Right, even if it was just once. I would have been much better with it than multiple times he get like he gets into the eggs and <laughs> he kills a baby. Like these are yeah. little baby frogs, little like, tadpoles. And I know they say at the beginning that they haven't been fertilized yet, but considering the like how many times she's like this is the last of my species and we have to get to this planet cuz it's the only place we can survive, you can't you can't continue to have baby Yoda eating the eggs. It's so dark. Like, and it makes Baby Yoda come off as a bit of a jerk, right? And yeah. So, I don't know how aware Baby Yoda is at this point. Does he realize 
I don't think it, you can't have him realize that he's killing off her family line. He's just hungry, right? He's, but man, it sure he's so insistent. That's what makes it even worse. Is like he's constantly trying to get him, and there's like a a burp gag and stuff. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's weird. Like for this like family Star Wars show, like like look, if this were Farscape. And somebody were doing that, I'd be like, that's awesome. That's so dark and screwed up. Great. Mm-hmm. But in Star Wars, when it's the little baby Yoda, who I'm supposed to think is adorable and cute, I don't know. I think it's just a misfire. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I totally agree. Like, you know, I stayed up late last night to watch it, and then Jesse and I watched it um, while we were having dinner, and she was like, what? What is going on? Baby Yoda's kind of an asshole in this right now. He's being a butthead. <clears throat> and and that's such a weird approach to take with Baby Yoda, right? Like, I would have never expected that. I know when the Funko Pop started floating around online that was Baby Yoda next to the container of eggs. You know, I know even I thought like, oh, he's probably trying to eat those eggs or whatever's in that container. But yeah, I didn't have try. all the context. <laughs> Like, also, trying, yeah. trying to eat the eggs. I, I, Leanna, like, I would have been fine if it had been trying. And then the Mando, like, you know, like, slaps his little baby Yoda paw. And baby Yoda makes a sad face. Like, like when he, he spits out the frog when all the little kids are like, gross, dude, don't eat that frog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this, this is like sentient frogs. They're yeah. people frogs. And they, like you were saying, they make it. They really push the home, uh, the point home about how it is important, so important to this frog lady that she get these eggs to her husband so they can continue their family line. And like she's desperate. Like when Mando and Baby Yoda go to sleep after the ship crashes, like once again a really good moment of uh, like a creature or somebody in a uh, a suit performance. Like she's frantic, like trying to figure out how to communicate with Mando to let him know, like, no, we got to go. The deal is not off. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I I do agree that that's a bit of a misfire. Uh, Probably, no, not even probably, definitely my biggest strike against this episode was that, was that part. Um, I will say the X-Wing versus Razorcrest section was amazing. Oh, that was cool. Yeah, and I would have never thought we would see something that quality in a live-action Star Wars TV show. Like, years ago, the when they first announced it, my biggest concern is, how do you do Star Wars on a TV budget and make it as cool as the movies and look as good? And I had no reason to be worried especially this season they've definitely kicked it up a notch the second season and then when you consider that all of these post-production special effects and stuff were done in like work from home situations because of covid that makes it even more impressive to me i mean it's bananas because it looks like those are just some x-wings man (laughs) yeah yeah and old filoni trapper wolf back (laughs) yeah um, are you familiar with the actor who played Carson, the other X-Wing pilot? Um, honestly, only through like seeing him on Twitter, knowing he's a huge Star Wars fan. Same, same. And, 
uh, his Twitter feed today has been delightful. He is so excited to be part of Star Wars. So proud. It's been wonderful to see. Uh, I really like seeing that. Like seeing a big Star Wars fan, um, you know, get the chance to be in it and then like coming out of it with like a positive experience and seeming really happy about the how it turned out and stuff like because that hasn't always been the case <laughs> yeah but no like him this time and you know um the guy who played the weekway bartender mm-hmm. last week who like has been sitting on that for so long because he shot his stuff before season one premiered yes like and if you want to read like a feel good Twitter thread, go read his. I, I suggest everybody. Do you remember his name? Uh, w Earl Brown. W Earl Brown. Go read his Twitter thread about getting the job offer for the Mandalorian and how the whole thing went. And it is so good. Like, I can't imagine for like, I don't know, like almost like what, like a year and a half, two years, knowing that you're in star Wars and not being able to tell anybody that you're in star Wars. And not just, that you're in Star Wars, that you're in a scene with a dude in Boba Fett armor who's a guy you've worked with in the same capacity on another show. <laughs> yeah. Like, so cool. And a goddamn Baby Yoda. And a Baby Yoda, yeah. He knew about Baby Yoda before any of us did. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I wouldn't be able to keep that secret that well. I'd be dropping little hints on the podcast being like, well, I don't know about you guys, but I hung out with somebody that looked a lot like Boba Fett last weekend. <laughs> yeah, I was on this thing called Marmors. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I would be getting sued real quick. Hey, uh, have you ever wondered what it would look like if Yoda was a baby? Just a thought. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just got this weird idea and thought, well, I wonder what he looked like as a baby. <clears throat> um, So... You know, the Razor Crest crashes on this ice planet. Mandalorian tries to get it fixed. And then it basically kicks into a weird mix of John Carpenter's The Thing, because of the whole, like, snowy Arctic aesthetic, and Alien. And Baby Yoda, in one of the grossest things I've ever seen in Star Wars, instead of chowing down on a lady frog's eggs, he chows down on a spider egg and it is foul and it is like he pulls out this like gooey spider mm-hmm. embryo and like just pops in his mouth nasty <laughs> it is gross and then pure nightmare fuel as i oh, as, as far as i am confirmed uh concerned kicks in and a horde of ice spiders starts chasing the group and they're creepy they're well done in that regard and I say alien because not only do the spider's eggs remind me of like the the xenomorph eggs in Alien, but the spiders themselves kind of look like face huggers, how they move and stuff. Oh, they're so creepy. <laughs> they are. And, and they got like this, you think like these, the big one has these huge like fangs, like several layers of them mm-hmm. in the middle of its body. Oh, and the, uh, yeah. And then, and oh, oh. They got big, creepy, lifeless eyes that look like sort of cones and stuff. I just didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. I I read that these were like directly from a 
Ralph McQuarrie, like something he had done originally for Return of the Jedi that never made it in. Oh, I could see that being the case. I could definitely see that being the case. Because um, I think it's in Clone Wars and it's definitely in Jedi Fallen Order, like on Kashyyyk. There's big nasty spiders too that are real gross. So I could see that. That's cool. I didn't see that uh, on Twitter today, but that makes a ton of sense. <clears throat> um, I gotta tell you though, I'd be so annoyed if on top of like, at least like if I were crash landed on an ice planet, I would not be thinking I'm also going to have to deal with spiders. No, no. And so, you know, we, we get through this whole character progression for Din Djarin where now he's sort of a father figure to this little baby Yoda. And in this episode, baby Yoda is nothing but headache for him. He's, God, he's, frog. Such a little, he's such a little pain in the ass. I know, man. Oh, it's like they, and I know it's not the case because there's a good chance a lot of this episode was filmed before, uh, you know, season one premiered, but like, it's almost like they were like, oh, you guys thought baby Yoda was cute. Mm, we're going to fix a little bit of that for you. It's so funny because it's mixed with like some of the cutest baby moment, Yoda moments we've gotten so far. Like when, like in that opening scene, when he, when the, when he's, you know, when after the, he's dropped by the guy who has a knife on him, when he's running up to Mando, like mm -hmm. he's holding his arms up. Yep. And like we see when, when Mando goes to like go to bed, like he's like hung up a little baby Yoda hammock. Or, when they go to sleep after the crash and baby Yoda like cuddles with Mando oh, in his lap. It was so cute. Yeah, it's a, it's a real, uh, conflicting baby Yoda episode as far as that, as that stuff goes. But, oh man, I love, I love this. I love this frog lady. Cause when this frog lady gets the droid speaking mm -hmm. for her and she's like, no, you're going to listen to me right now, moron who doesn't speak my frog language. You're going to get up and you're going to take me and my little frog babies and we're going to get out of here. And when she calls him on the Mandalorian oath. Oh, so good. Like, I love that part where, uh, and, and I love that, you know, kind of like what I was talking about with Boba Fett, you could have easily done a show about a Mandalorian where he's just like, kill everybody on sight. And you do get a little bit of that, like in the first episode last season, you know? Uh, but the introduction of this sort of code of honor that they have, to me, is is a, an element that they really needed in this show. And they've done a really good job with it. So anytime somebody's going to call him out on his shit as far as not like following the Mandalorian code, I'm all about it. It, but I like that I like that they haven't gone too far the other way either, which is he has to be prodded into doing it. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just automatically he's gonna do like the best and the right thing every time. Like it takes somebody being like, "Listen up, dude, you're a Mandalorian. This is what you're supposed to do." And then he's like, "Ah, oh, fine." Right, right, and and you know even like last episode where he tells the guy, "You're not gonna die by my hand. I promise you this." Like he makes him that promise. It's kind of like that whole. Batman Begins thing where he doesn't kill Liam Neeson, but he doesn't save him either. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, they they've found some interesting ways to not just make it like you said, a, just a sort a sort of boring like, nope, I just got to do the right thing no matter what. Um. So the 
I'll tell you what I thought was going to happen, and I'm glad they didn't do it. When um, when the X wings show up to save them from the giant spiders, and you're kind of wondering who's killing the giant spiders outside. My first thought watching the episode for the first time was, oh, that's going to be uh, Bill Burr and his crew. Because I thought when she reactivated that droid that maybe it sent out a distress signal or something. Oh, I didn't even think of that. And I'm glad they didn't do it because that would have maybe been a, a, a step too far as far as like convenient storytelling for me, you know? Yeah. The fact that it was just the, the X-Wing pilots probably circled back around and found them. Um, makes I a also, lot more sense. I love the fact that they don't help him repair the ship. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, you know, I've seen some people be like, that doesn't make the New Republic seem very nice. But what? in their defense, he did, uh, he was the leader of a prison break on one of their prison ships. And they just saved him from, uh, I don't know, a thousand spiders. All of the spiders. So, so many spiders. I kind of feel like they're even, you know? They're, I, yeah. And I love the line where he's like, am I under arrest? And the guy goes, uh, you should be, but these are trying times. I love that line. And it was done really well. <clears throat> I also yeah. liked a small detail that his armor got all frosty and stuff. <gasps> that was great. I noticed. I didn't really pick that up my, the first time I watched it, but I rewatched it right before we were recording. I'm like, oh, no, that's so cool. Yeah, man, they, they've got a good eye for detail on this show. Because um, I feel like that's one of those things that could just easily been overlooked. We wouldn't have noticed. You would have had some, you know, meteor, meteorologist on Twitter being like, well, actually, if you were wearing uh, a suit of metal armor on an ice planet, it would begin to frost over. Um, but otherwise, you know, I wouldn't have thought of that. So to see them include that kind of little detail, I really appreciate that kind of stuff. Oh, one of the other things I love this episode when they are when they're running from the spiders, mm -hmm. when the frog frog lady who I don't like, she doesn't have a name, right? Because like, no, I I okay. paid special attention the second time because otherwise I was just gonna call her frog lady. Because that's what the, the closed captions called her, just Frog Lady. And I'm like, oh, that seems a little bit weird because everybody has a name in Star Wars. But anyway, when, when they're running from the spiders and she starts like running like a frog, mm -hmm. oh, that was so cool. It like, was cool. It looked, it looked a little bit goofy, but I don't care because it's weird and alien and she's a frog lady. And that's how frog ladies should run. It's perfect. I, I, I don't care how goofy it looks. I'm glad they did that. Instead of being like, ah, it looks goofy. We should just have her run normally or whatever. And I, I'll tell you what. If I was on an ice planet that had a cool-looking hot spring like that, I'd totally take a dip. That should well, look fun. Yeah, especially because now, I mean, who knows? Because she's a space frog, but, but like she's probably cold-blooded mm -hmm. and it's going to freeze to death. Yeah, well, I, I feel like they do a pretty good job establishing that, too. Because immediately when they crash, she's like, I need to get you a blanket. And like when she uses, like, takes off the blanket and puts it around the little like incubator. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. I love that frog lady. Yeah, I'm. I'm really glad that I would assume we're going to get uh, quite a bit more of her next episode. I'm pretty sure the next episode is going to be that that water planet that we've <sighs> seen in the trailers. I'm excited for that, and also <laughs> that means like so much of what we've gotten has like in the trailer has been from the first couple episodes. 
Yeah, I, it seems at this point, like after next week, almost all of it. We, we've still got some stuff with like scout troopers on speeder bikes and stuff coming at some point. But yeah, it, m- mostly it seems like it's first half of the season stuff. I love when they do that. I love when movie trailers only show you stuff from the first, you know, 30, 45 minutes of the movie. <clears throat> so that definitely means we've got a back half of the season that's basically unseen to us at this point. And we know Moff Gideon's going to be showing up some point, and that's going to be cool. We know there's a ton of rumors of other, like, you know, established characters that are going to be showing up, so... I think we got a lot of cool stuff ahead of us. And, and what I would say, if you didn't enjoy this episode that much, like going forward, I think it might be the only case because there's still a lot to go. And this, I understand wanting the answers about Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda is the central mystery of this show. That's not going to be answered anytime soon. No, and it and it shouldn't be. Because that's then, like, what do you do after that? Yeah, exactly. We'll get little hints and stuff along the way, but we're not getting the big answers yet. When we but, start yeah. getting big answers about Baby Yoda, the show is coming close to being over. Like, Yeah, yeah. like, you know what I don't want in the, like, second episode of the second season of Lost is them telling me what the island is. Exactly. And then you just have four other uh, seasons where they're like, uh, we're just adventuring on this spooky island. Yeah. So, you know, be patient with the big baby Yoda questions. Be patient with the Boba Fett stuff. If I can be patient with the Boba Fett stuff, we can all be patient with the Boba Fett stuff. It will come. It's just a matter of like, there's a lot of story left to tell. We've got uh, six more episodes this season at least one more season of the Mandalorian, probably two at the very least. So there's plenty of time for us to get these answers. Um, Yeah. You go on some fun adventures where there's horrifying space spiders and then you get some answers and then you go like, I don't know, maybe there'll be like some scary space birds or something. I hope not because I uh, hate birds, uh, but (laughs) I, I will say this. Um, I don't even know that this episode didn't advance the plot. Like, when you really think about it, what what's more interesting, right? He's looking for Mandalorians, right? He goes <clears throat> on his first lead. He finds Cobb Vanth. That story gets essentially wrapped up. Cobb Vanth will be back at some point. You don't have them have that final exchange if you don't plan on bringing them back at some point. So what's his next step? Well, he still needs to find Mandalorians. In this episode, he gets the vital information he needs to find the Mandalorians. To me, it's more interesting if there's a bump in the road along the way to finding them than if it's just point A to point B. Yeah, and he has a run-in with the New Republic. That's interesting. Because mm-hmm. we don't, we haven't gotten a lot of New Republic stuff in the Mandalorian yet, so I, I welcome that anytime. And like we mentioned earlier, it ties in with episode six from last year. I don't even necessarily, it didn't take great strides in advancing the plot, but I feel like it did advance the plot. That's just me though. Well, and also again, like, it's just like, like character is plot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we get a lot more with him. This, like this idea of like him, you know, taking this passenger 
and like trying to to get her eggs to the planet and like the little baby Yoda being a little jerk like that's that's character stuff I think that's important Mm -hmm. I think it is too and you know I honestly feel like once they get to the planet next week and whatever that story ends up being like I feel like people's feelings will about this will change just like I think people's feelings about this episode will change in a long form watch of the series you know if all of season two uh, dropped it once and we all binge watched it I don't think you would hear as much disappointment with this episode even though it hasn't been a crazy amount I've actually seen a lot of people digging this episode so <clears throat> um, now I did want to bring up one thing um, a listener to the show Tracy Moon uh, he threw a theory at me that I actually thought was pretty interesting the more I thought about it And his theory is, what if Baby Yoda wasn't eating those eggs as much as he was storing those eggs? So let's say next episode they get to the water planet and something happens to that container. And you think for a second, oh no, all those eggs are gone. All those babies are dead. And then Baby Yoda produces all the eggs he thought he ate. I mean... Look, it would say some weird things about Baby Yoda's digestive system. Uh, yeah, that's my big question about it is, how does Baby Yoda... Uh, <laughs> how, where, where did... Where did the, Hot Toys ain't making the Baby Yoda shits out frog eggs. You know what I'm saying? That's not going to be an action feature on a Hasbro toy. Because, like, does Baby Yoda have, like, two stomachs and one stomach is for food and one stomach is for if you happen to have to protect some... Yeah. Um, frog eggs i hope i mean on one hand if they did that and they found a way like he coughed up a bunch of eggs or whatever i'd be like oh that makes me feel so much better about baby yoda on the other hand like it could get real weird real quick because he's not a big guy like there's not a lot of room for those eggs to go there sure isn't and he had a few i'd say six or so eggs it seems like I mean, because it seems like the one the Mando first sees him eat probably isn't the first one he eats. Because you hear the slurping sound right before and then you see that. The second time when he finds him, he's chowing down again. Probably also not the first one. And he even and he, says to him, like, yeah. how many did you just eat? And he burps yeah. in his face. Yeah. And then he eats. We see him eating one again at the very end. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> Devious, man. It's like... We have this one cat, right, Jetly. That any time Jesse goes to bake, he has this sixth sense about when butter comes out of the fridge, and he goes crazy. It's the weirdest thing. He's obsessed with butter. We have to like actively keep him away if butter is out of the fridge. That's Baby Yoda with these eggs. He can't keep his mind off of them. He just got everybody in trouble eating a spider egg. And moments later, he's like, I'm going to eat. I'm just going to eat another one. They're so good. I can't keep my hands off of them. Like, it doesn't seem like they'd have that much flavor. No, I think they're probably pretty gross. I'm thinking of like, because they just look like sort of like a really big salmon roe or something. And don't get me wrong. Like, if I'm at a sushi place, I'll get some roe. But it's not like hugely flavorful. Yeah, that's the perfect, perfect descriptor of what they seem like is a giant piece of roe. Ooh. 
<clears throat> Alrighty, so um, do you want to hear from some voicemails and stuff? And, and I'm sure that will uh, lead us to can keep talking about the episode. Sure do. All right, let me get get those ready, and we'll jump into those. Kia D. Kia D. Kia D. Cockhead, the only Jedi master who can crash box. Kia D. Cockhead, running around slaying bitches with his cockhead. He's a big Surian stud. He loves to split chicks with his pud. Kia D. Cockhead, to stroke his cone and suck on his balls. Kitty, cockhead, what you gonna do when he comes on you now? He's a Jedi Council stooge, but he'll be plumping spooge tomorrow. Cockhead, Ruhar, cockhead, Hansberger, cockhead, Will Witt, cockhead, Goose Paint, cockhead, G Money, cockhead, King Tom, cockhead. All righty. First up, we've got our buddy, the king of all toms. Let's hear what he has to say. Hey there, Hawes and Will and Emily. Really looking forward to seeing what you think about this week's episode of The Mandalorian. I really liked it. Um, So I watched that this morning and then... Later today, I listened to Emily's excellent podcast, The Canto Bite Dispatch, and Emily said something that kind of stuck with me, where you and Brittany were talking about the music of The Mandalorian and how important it is to the story, especially because, you know, we, we don't see the Mando's facial expressions. And I don't know what it is, if it's because we got that episode of Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, um, about Ludwig Göransson, um, but this season, the music has just really stood out for me. Um, and I don't, I, I guess, in the last season I noticed it, but I didn't notice it this much. And I know, Hawes, we've talked before about Star Wars music and how we don't see it be, like, we, we, we see it as being orchestral, not going towards, you know, industrial, modern. But I think that... The Mandalorian is kind of pushing that envelope. He's using a lot of non-traditional instruments, things we don't hear in Star Wars, and it's working. And I just wonder if, uh, if you, if how you feel about that. If you think it's a slow move towards, you know, more modern music for other Star Wars projects uh, or what? Personally, I'd like to see them continue to mix it. And if they get someone talented like. Uh, Gjornsson, I, I have no problem with them exploring other things, just, just as long as they keep it classy. Um, that's my big question. I had a smaller question not related to anything, but I'm just curious about what the three of you think. Uh, what is your favorite way to have X? Don't. Anyway, that's all I have. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for the great podcasts, and I will talk with you later. Ooh, what's your favorite way to have eggs? I mean... Like, my favorite egg dish is probably Eggs Benedict, but if I'm just having, like, eggs, I just want over easy. Yeah, that's probably mine, is over easy. I'm not a big eggs guy. I kind of burnt myself out on eggs at some point. Um, But I do enjoy a nice over easy egg. I don't mind a deviled egg, either. Um, This whole episode made me, reminded me of pickled eggs. Are pickled eggs a thing up there? 
No, I mean you can find them, but they're not like. And there's probably you know where you can probably find them is a lot of fucking hipster bars probably do them. But... Oh, okay. Because they're uh, you know, you can go into uh, a lot of gas stations down here, and there'll be a jar of pickled eggs on the counter. Yeah, you know what? Like any just food that's just floating in a jar on a counter, I'm going to give the side eye to. Yeah. Uh... I, you know, I enjoy them occasionally when, like, my brother-in-law makes them. And that way I know, like, well, there hasn't been a dozen people coming in here and putting their dirty-ass hands in here picking out a pickled egg, you know. But, you know, it's a much more controlled circumstance. But even then, I'm not like, wow, I need to get him to make me a jar of my own pickled eggs. It's a once-every-now-and-then type of thing that I like. <clears throat> um. Speaking of the music, there is one specific uh, music cue in this episode I meant to call out, so I'm glad King Tom brought this up. Um, it's the hot spring moment when Mando's putting the eggs back in the container and Baby Yoda turns around and sees all the spider eggs and he's like sniffing the air. It plays this real like magical, whimsical, almost chimey music that like definitely doesn't lead you to believe what's about to happen is about to happen. And I thought that moment was really cool. <clears throat> um, it, yeah, it's a nice little misdirect. Like, maybe it's like Santa Claus is coming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I loved it. And in, even more on the second time, you know, knowing what's about to happen, it, it works even better, I feel. Um, I don't know... I don't know necessarily that it's a push to go in that direction with all Star Wars music. Because when you look at the cases in modern Star Wars history, The Mandalorian, Solo, and Rogue One, where they've used someone besides John Williams, I feel like they've kind of let each of them do their own thing. You know, Michael Giacchino is a very sort of John Williams-style composer. Mm -hmm. uh, and granted, he had to do his work under an incredible time, time crunch. I would love to see what he would do if he was given more time on his Star Wars score. Because the Rogue One score is very good. Um, and I think it's even better when you realize that he had something stupid like six months to do it all in or something. Um, but I think it's a case-by-case -case basis. Like, I think you get um, the composer for The Mandalorian and you don't want to, like, force him to work in a specific style. You get him to do what he does. Um, and I think... <clears throat> I think exploring different musical stuff for Star Wars is, is a cool and a great idea, but I think at the end of the day, there has to be more of a classical orchestral quality to it at its core yeah look it's never there's never gonna be like i'm watching star wars and suddenly the decemberists are playing right or like uh like in the the just like the the, the dc music movies where they use a lot of like techno sounding music and stuff that would not that just wouldn't feel right you're never gonna have new metal in a star wars movie i they better not you know <laughs> like i just i've seen so many like Star Wars compilations on YouTube and stuff where they try to cut it to like 
top 40 rock songs and stuff and it's it's not good so you know i think there is a core to star wars music that needs to be present and then you can experiment as much as you want around that core and i think that's what they're doing with the mandalorian great success so we'll see i think it'll be interesting to see whoever does the score for the next movie and what direction they take that in yeah, but generally, I, I like that Mando like has its own sound. Mm-hmm. And it's so distinct. And like the Mandalorian theme song, his theme is so iconic already. Like, Oh, if, yeah. If that's all he did for the Mando score, it's a 100% success. Thankfully, that's not all he's done. He's done a lot of cool stuff. So I think... Uh, I think, and we're probably in for even better stuff going forward. So I think that's exciting. <clears throat> and I'm looking forward to see, like, we got a lot of pro- uh, potential Star Wars projects coming up. And I want to see what they do for the score for those. You know, that's where it'll get really interesting. I hope they bring Michael Giacchino back for the Cassian series. That would make that me would, really happy. That makes sense. But yeah, like, you know, like this so should sound different from the movie. Should sound like if we're getting like, like if that Leslie Hadland martial arts show is a high republic show, it should sound different than The Mandalorian, than Cassian, than Obi Wan. Yeah, exactly. Like um, Obi Wan should probably feel more like the movies. Yes, yes, exactly. And I feel like it would be really easy for them to do these Star Wars TV shows and kind of have the music just be an afterthought, you know. Where, like, we, we'll do something. Because uh, it's about 50-50 with Star Wars video game scores on whether they're really good or they just sound kind of like somebody else doing John Williams' greatest hits remixed a little bit. Um, and I'm really glad that's not what the route they went with The Mandalorian. It's got its own feel. It's got it's It feels alien. It feels Western. It feels samurai feels modern it's got like this crazy mix of different stuff <clears throat> all right um let's hear from jim let's see what he has to say Ooh, hey halls and will and miss emily lind good evening the mandalorian the episode one and two i haven't oh they're fantastic uh the first one was uh what happened in episode one i thought it was going to take basically all season for that sort of thing to happen and i have fallen in love i think man when uh when mando leans back those dogs come out and mando puts his hand on his hip and lets out that oh my gosh man i don't know what i will ever do without Din Djarin. Uh I felt just like, uh, when he did that, I felt just like Miss Emily must have felt when uh, she saw Cobb Vanth for the first time take <laughs> all, ready for a sip of spotchka. Probably didn't feel all the things that she feel, felt when uh, she saw him, but a lot of them. I, I really have fallen in love with him. But, uh, so episode two was almost a letdown because of how pumped I've been about part one. But, uh, it was an excellent on rewatch excellent episode <clears throat> the uh callback from the rebels uh spiders awesome and i mm. uh, loved uh, everything and 
the I love the toad, the frog lady, and is super excited about the next episode. I want to know where these Mandalorians that she has seen uh, or her husband has seen. Uh, I feel like she they're confused. Her husband was confused, and maybe he saw Jedi or something like that. But uh, I had a simple, weird. So Gina Carano, Tina Carano, whatever her name is. Uh, <laughs> let's say I, I, I think I figured out a way to quietly get her off the show. Um, on the next episode, when she finally pops up, if she said something like, "I'm going to Gladiator Five to to fight and uh, all this whatever to fight professionally." And then later, a few episodes later, uh, you hear in the background that something happens to Gladiator 5. Uh, what do you guys think, uh, guys and gals think, that uh, would be the good thing to happen on Gladiator 5? All right. Ignite <laughs> the green. Um, wow. So I totally forgot about the big spiders from Rebels. And now that makes me want to go check out their design to see how closely they are related <clears throat> and another thing that i it wasn't even jim's voicemail that reminded me to bring up but i forgot to bring up do you think it's kind of weird hear me out that season or episode two in season one and episode two in season two both have an egg theme you know with the mud horn theme that the jawas want and the toad eggs or the frog eggs and this and secondly both episodes deal with the razor crest getting seriously fucked up you know i didn't even think about that egg thing it's all poetry it rhymes <laughs> oh it, like just and like did these very like it this seemingly like, like in that first season the egg seems very 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 important they really want the egg and then they just eat the fucking egg yep yep Man, I wonder if that was intentional or if that was just, I don't know, man. I don't know how that sort of thing goes, but. Um, maybe, maybe Johnny Favs just really likes eggs. Maybe he does. Yeah, maybe he does. <clears throat> so, look, as far as the Gina Carano thing goes, I, I don't, I don't even know how you approach it because it sucks because at the end of the day, I like the character of Cara Dune. So I think even my preferred method would just be recasting, personally. Uh, it would be weird because that's not exactly something we've seen in Star Wars, but I'd get used to it real quick. But more than likely, it could be that she's written off in some way. And I don't know if it would be as... I think it would be more obvious than just having her go somewhere and them being like, man, did you hear what happened on the planet that we mentioned she was going to? Crazy shit. Um, I don't know. I do know I've had a theory. I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast or just like with people. I kind of wonder if uh, maybe she got the scripts for season three and found out that her character was getting written off and then decided like, Oh, well, I guess I can say whatever the fuck I want now. I'm not part of this show anymore. Um, cause it, it just because of the timing of it. It seems like when she 
had her fucking hateful meltdown on Twitter, it would have been probably around the time they were getting stuff together for season three. But I don't know, man. Maybe. I mean, the the real difficulty is, like in writing her off is like, obviously, season two's like already done and dusted. There's nothing you can do about whatever that is. Right. And so depending on where the character is at the end of season two, like, honestly, if it ended with her sort of like it was in season one, I'd say just like, don't go back. Never, yeah. He just yeah. never runs into her again. That's the easiest approach. And, and I think probably the preferable one. But like if the end of season two is they're all on the ship together, then, then that's a much more difficult. Exactly. Thing. It's, it's hard to say, right? It's hard to say without, it's another one of those things. It's hard to really say without knowing what's going to happen in season two. So that's been kind of my approach is I got to see what happens and then I'll sort of see how I feel about whatever their approach is going to be. And yeah, you know what? Like, honestly, like, I mean, yeah, right or off is probably the easiest. Like, I, I just went with you though. I don't have a problem with recasting. It doesn't bother me. Maybe it's because I like grew up on a lot of like soap operas or like maybe it's like the Aunt Vivs and Fresh Prince. Like you just go with it. You know what's funny is as we were talking, you know, I would, in the summer, I would spend a lot of time at my grandparents' house. They were basically our babysitters in the summer while my parents were at work. And my grandmother is a huge, young and the restless, bold and the beautiful, the CBS uh, soap operas. And I remember vividly as a kid, whenever they would recast someone, there would be this real awkward moment where there would be a voiceover that would be... <laughs> The character of Jennifer will now be played by such and such. And like that is what popped into my head is just this real over the top voiceover being like the character of Cara Dune will now be portrayed by this person. <coughs> um, okay. So a next voicemail we have is from a first time voicemailer. It says, hey guys, first time voicemailer here. Been listening for a while and had had a thought after this week's show that I wanted to share with you. Thanks, and thanks for all you do, and take care. And this is from Joel. Let's hear what Joel has to say. Hey, Halls, Will, and I'm sure illustrious guest. Uh, this is Joel. It's my first time actually sending anything into your show, although I did once send an email to Rogue One that Johnny read out. But it's the first time for me speaking to you, so thank you very much for listening to this, if you are. Uh, I just wanted to say a very sincere thank you for a very specific reason, because personally, I have to say, I've never really given much of a shit about Boba Fett. <laughs> he was not a character that I found particularly appealing or stylish or compelling or anything. So he was never a really big thing for me, but I can I can very well understand, I think, what, what Horse has with them, because what, what he has with uh, Boba Fett is what I think I have with Darth Maul. Uh, where it's, it's, I can't even explain it, but it's just this. There's just one character that's just mesmerizing. So I'm, and and I really appreciate when somebody is passionate about a character. But my point is that I was I was watching uh, the Mandalorian episode, and then when Cobb Vanth uh, walked in, the only th and the subtitles said Cobb Vanth before he actually gave uh, gave his name. So I, I knew. You know, once he spoke the first words, that it was Cobb Vanth. 
and I the, the, the only thought in my mind was poor Hawes <laughs> because that must mean that Bo was not coming, right? Because for me, it, it seemed like um, it's either Cobb or it's Boba, but it's not going to be both. That's that's what I thought from the from all the rumors uh, in advance. Uh, so then the entire episode, I was hyped and I was extremely hyped for the Craig Dragon and everything. It's an amazing episode. But the entire time I'm thinking, God, I can't wait. Like, Hawes is going to be so bummed. So I'd, I'm not very much looking forward to Blue Harvest this, this week. And then the last scene, I just could not hold myself. <laughs> I was so excited. And that's all due to Blue Harvest, I think, because otherwise, Boba, not Boba, would not have made a difference to me. But listening to somebody every week who is so stoked about a character you can't help but be stoked for it yourself so this episode for me would not have been nearly as exciting as it ended up being and for that i just wanted to say thank you because that passion is contagious um yeah that's i have some other things to say but i don't want to crowd out the entire show i know i'm verbose and i talk longer than i should uh but thank you for listening this far if you have and thanks for all the good work you do i'm looking forward to uh hearing the shows every week and especially when something new comes out i i really enjoy your takes and keep it up guys take care thanks man i really appreciate that um i gotta say it has been and and I say this not in a bad way. It's been a little weird, like, the amount of people who have sort of reached out after that last Mandalorian episode. Um, yeah. It means a lot to me. That's what I'll say. Uh, it, I get a kick out of it. I really appreciate it. And just to have, like, other people excited because they know you're going to be excited about something, not exactly something I'm used to. So, uh, as much as you appreciate it, I appreciate it, buddy. And, uh, look forward to hearing from you more in the future. All right, let's see. We got another voicemail. Maybe two more. Yeah, we got two more voicemails. Uh, this one is from (coughs) Emily. I hope you're ready. You ready? Oh, I'm so excited to hear it. It's from Utah Dougie. Ah, oh, it's even better when you hear it live. <laughs> hey, Haas and Will, this is Dougie. Apologize, it's been a couple weeks. My family and I came down with COVID. Oh, no! Uh, we're recovered and doing better, but I appreciate your podcast. Jesus. It was great listening to it. But now I'm back. Question, man, that Mando uh, was awesome. I really enjoyed uh, the Cobb Vanth character quite a bit more than I thought I would. My question is, do you think that you know, in a later episode in the season that Mando will, you know, do an Avengers Assemble and bring back all the buddies that has helped him for maybe a, a mission later on this season. Because uh, I'd like to see that character again. Anyways, keep up the good work. Peace out. Buddy, I am so happy you and the family are okay, man. That shit is scary. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, I'm glad to hear you're okay. <clears throat> um, Emily, what do you think? Oh, I, I, I... 
whether it's this season or next season, they they at least are planning on bringing Cobb Vance back. Yeah, and I think if last season is anything to go on, we are looking for that, or we are looking at that um, Avengers Assembled type thing. Whether it's this season, whether it's next season or the season after, I envision there being a moment when the whole squad is assembled. You know what I mean? Where yeah. it's Cobb, maybe Boba's there, Bo-Katan, like Sabine, everybody. I, and- I, I don't know how you pass up having Cobb and Boba in the same scene. I don't either. I don't either. I, I think it has to be. And that's another thing. This is something I would, once again, if you had told me that I would say this six months ago, another thing I don't want to see is Boba show up and kill Cobb out of revenge. I never thought I would say it. But after last episode, much like Amy Sedaris, I don't want Boba to show up and do anything to Cobb. Like, I don't want that to be how his story continues. So I I really think, like, I I just think there could be something really cool. And, like, what if on his search throughout the season, it becomes very clear to Din Djarin how few Mandos are out there, right? So what if Cobb Vanth takes the Mandalorian oath and gets his own set of armor? What if Boba wants to become a Mandalorian, like a true Mandalorian and takes the oath? Like there could be something like that going on somewhere down the line. Uh, But I I do think it's inevitable. He'll be back. You know, like we both said, doesn't even have to be this season, but he's coming back at some point. You don't have that character received as well as he is without bringing him back. They're smart enough to know that for sure. All right, now we got a voicemail from Intercontinental Tom. Let's hear what he has to say. Hey, Harvesters of Sorrow. Secret Metallica <laughs> reference. Uh, this is Tom in Sweden. What can I say? First episode of season two of The Mandalorian. Awesome. Loved it. Just <laughs> like, woohoo level excitement throughout the episode it was fantastic uh i also wanted to um pile on with what you were talking about regarding the clone wars in the last episode i recently started a complete chronological rewatch uh first time i've been i've seen any of this since uh, since the the episodes aired originally and um i have to say i am enjoying it five maybe five times more than I did on the first time round. I just think um, it flows like uh, like a complete story this way. Um, all those kind of like less awesome episodes, like when it, when it used to be like, okay, this is our Star Wars for the week, it used to be kind of annoying to have, the, you know, like R2-D2 and C-3PO looking for Jogan fruit or whatever. But when you watch it like this, it all... It, it feels nice like you know it flows from from flavor to flavor and it, and it really works and um, you know you can follow the characters and their development a bit better and so I'm just uh, saying anyone who's wondering if the, if it's worth a, a go the chronological rewatch gets a big thumbs up from me now um, I have a question uh, 
the Mandalorian, I think, took a pretty huge risk with um, taking such a different musical approach compared to yeah. all the other Star Wars in the in the in the galaxy. Um, and it's been a massive hit. People love the soundtrack for that show. Um, so my question is: the Cassin show, the Kenobi show. Uh, there, you know, of course, we have the Le- Leslie Headland show coming up, but we don't know anything about that yet. But let's so let's just stick with Cassian and Kenobi. What do you think the musical approach should be for those two <laughs> TV shows? All right, let the Mandalorian good times roll. Thank you, as always. This is Intercontinental Tom signing off. Okay. Do the Toms consult? Like, what's going on here? I, that's what I was about to say. The Toms are like they're they they've got the gift of foresight. This happens with King Tom all the time, where he will call in a voicemail about something we just talked about, and I'll be like, "How did he know?" And now Intercontinental Tom is doing it. Now there are two of them. Oh my goodness, Intercontinental Tom. How did you know, buddy? Um, I mean, we kind of talked about it. Like, I, I think Emily's pretty spot on with that the Kenobi show w- would probably uh, skew closer to, like, the music from the movies, right? Um, I think you have a lot of themes, especially from the prequels and, like, A New Hope and stuff that you could incorporate, and that would be really cool. Um and I mentioned, personally, I'd like to see Michael Giacchino come back for the Cassian show. Although, I don't have a massive uh, data bank of knowledge about composers, like film score composers. No. I could see there being a really cool like spy movie score approach to the Cassian show. And I just don't know who you would get to do that. Um, yeah, um, who, who does the Mission Impossible movies? Uh, I think it's Michael Giacchino. I think it might be, which is why I want to look it up. <laughs> yeah, look that up, because I think it might be Michael Giacchino. <clears throat> and I'm I'm not quite sure who does, like, the James Bond movies, but I don't know that those... That's not exactly the vibe I imagine for the Cassian show, personally. Um... I wish I could remember any of the score from that show, The Americans. Uh, it didn't really stick out to me that much. And I feel like they used maybe some period appropriate music in that show too. That might make it a little more difficult. And maybe yeah. maybe I'm thinking that because the showrunner was involved with Cassian at one point. Um, yeah, I don't know. But I could see there being like a a spy thriller vibe to the the Cassian show that could be pretty cool. Um, hmm. But I don't know. Man. Oh yeah, no. It looks like Mission Impossible has been a couple because like Danny Elfman did the first one, Hans Zimmer did second one. I don't know. Michael Giancana might have done one of them, but I can't tell. I gotcha. I gotcha. All right. So we got an email. Um, and this is from Kobe and he says, Kobe, Hey Halls and Will, how's it hanging? Haven't wrote in in a while and decided it was time to hit you up with some questions. Question one, 
So obviously coming into season two of The Mandalorian, we had a plethora of characters who were expected or at least rumored to be making an appearance on the show. We already got a bit of Boba, congrats Halls, and other characters like Ahsoka, Bo-Katan, etc. are looking very possible to show up later on. With that being said, I ask you this question. If you had to pick one long shot character, one that no one is really expecting to show up, who would it be? They can be a super mainstream character with a role in the story or just someone who shows up and says a few things just for the Easter egg. Take it away, Emily. Ooh. Ooh, I'm going to have to think about this for a bit. Do you have anybody who comes to mind? Um, so, unfortunately, my first, like, the first place my brain goes are, like, the other bounty hunters. Dengar, Bosk, Forlom, and Zuckus. Um... You know, oh no! Come on, man, Dash Rendar. That's the question. That's the answer. Have Dash Rendar show up? Really throw people for a loop and bring in some uh, Shadows of the Empire characters. I want to see Dash Rendar. I want to see Snuva. I want to see uh, Prince Shizor. Oh no! Speaking of no, here we go. Speaking of Snuva. I think there is a original trilogy character you could bring into the Mandalorian and not have to worry about recasting or anything like that, and that's Chewbacca. I want Chewbacca to show up in the Mandalorian in an episode. I want Wicket. Oh, oh, that would be cool. How they would do it, I don't know. Maybe they make a, a stop on Endor. Why not? Yeah, like who? God only knows what's going on on Endor. Yeah, yeah. Maybe See if there's... it's actually has there actually been like a nuclear fallout? What's going on? Yeah, have Wicket and Wacket show up. It could be little baby <laughs> Wacket. Um, but uh, Chewie would be really cool because I like Yona Yunus Sutamo, uh, the guy who took over for Peter Mayhew. I think he's delightful. He's so uh, stoked on being in. Star Wars and playing Chewie. He seems really nice. And secondly, how stoked would Johnny be? Oh, man. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say Chewbacca. Um, question two. As a Star Wars fan of all different backgrounds, we all have our favorite movies, shows, books, and other media. Since we have all been spending a lot more time at home on the couch since March, I personally have found myself re-watching a lot of the movies in my spare time. One day, as I was deciding which one I wanted to watch, I was kind of having a hard time choosing. You never want to admit it, but sometimes when you've seen all the movies a hundred times, there will come a time when you get burnt out on, a, on certain ones. Now I ask you, which Star Wars movie or movies are you most burnt out on? I know, I know, it's like trying to pick your least favorite child, but I'm very curious what you guys would say. Mine would have to be Revenge of the Sith, just since I've watched it so many times in the past year. Not saying I don't love it. Just after a while, you notice it's hard to hit that play button again. Thanks for the amazing podcast and keep us all keeping us all sane during these very insane times. Um, so it seems it might seem like a bit of a cop out to pick the same one as him, but Revenge of the Sith is mine because I often get these lofty aspirations, Emily, where I think to myself, "All right." It's time to do a marathon. I'm going to watch 
all the movies in chronological order. I'm going to watch Rogue One, where it's supposed to be, Solo, where it's supposed to be, etc., etc. I'll watch Phantom Menace, having a good time. Watching Attack of the Clones, not as good of a time. And then I find myself being like, hmm, you know, there's about 100 episodes of this anime I like left to watch. <laughs> and I like Revenge of the Sith. Back in the day, it used to be my favorite prequel. But I think I've kind of burnt myself out on it in recent memory. I'd say over the last couple of years. So I think that is my answer as well. Do you have one that you are burnt out on, Emily? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question because it's, it's, like, it's not a question I've heard before because generally it's like, oh, what's your least favorite movie, which is a much easier thing to answer. Right, and this is a movie you like, but like you just maybe need a little break from or something, right? I, I think maybe The Force Awakens and and I don't like I don't know how much it is the movie itself and how much of it is like my disappointment in Rise of Skywalker. Mm -hmm. But I'm just sort of like, I think I think The Force Awakens and I are just like done for a while, even though that used to be like one I could revisit a lot because it's super fun. It's really nostalgic. But like I'm like. You know, it's it's still modern, so all the effects are great, and I love like I love watching Finn and Ray and Poe, but I think I think for a while I'm just probably done with it. You know, I get that, and I honestly, I think I've I'm actually to the point where I've circled back around to The Force Awakens, but I mm -hmm. watched that one so much, like between theater viewings and then at home viewings, and then watching all the movie viewings like i did get burnt out on the force awakens a little bit not because i didn't love the movie but we've we've established that at this point it's just like i've seen it a bunch um and i think i've actually since getting like the getting it on 4k i've sort of circled back around to it and been like damn this movie's fun it's so you know it's so like snappy and quick paced and stuff um sort of the ideal version of the J.J. Abrams Star Wars pacing, you know? <clears throat> so I think uh, I can I can definitely see that too because I, I went through it as well. All right. I think that does it for us. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Emily. Oh, thanks for having me. I was excited to come on. Um, why don't you do all the listeners a favor and tell them where they can find you because if you're not checking these podcasts out, you are missing out. All right. So uh, follow me on Twitter at EF Lind. And I have a couple of pod I have too many podcasts. Um, I have a Star Wars podcast called the Cantobite Dispatch, it's which great. I do with our good friend, Brittany Brown. She is delightful. Um, I have a podcast that is currently focused on the filmography of Vin Diesel and trying to figure out what's gone on with that weirdo. And that's <laughs> called that's called Vindicated um or look up um fan and furious on twitter and then i do a general pop culture podcast called the pop culture hour with johnny grasso and that uh johnny is newly moved into his new house so hopefully we'll be coming a little more regularly but just lots of you know like tv movies comics we sort of talk about everything on that yeah, it's it's interesting how both of uh, we both have a co-host who's in the middle of like a big house move. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't recommend any of those podcasts enough. Check them all out; they're all great. Um, so, do yourself a favor, check them out. 
as far as we are concerned, uh, follow us on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram at Blue Harvest Pod. If you want to send in your own email or voicemail and be featured on the show, that's blueharvestpodcast at gmail.com. We have a Patreon where we've been posting a lot of extra comment. We have a content. We have two reaction shows, one with just me and one with me and Steel um, for The Mandalorian. We have a new episode of Masters of Harvest Kasi. We have a new episode of Star Wars Year by Podcast coming up as well. And so much more. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, that's patreon.com slash Blue Harvest Podcast. Check out Stoned Cobra. They're on iTunes, Spotify, and at stonedcobra.bandcamp.com. And until next week when we'll have another guest, and I believe Will should be back, this has been Blue Harvest, and I'm Halls Burkhart. Emily Lind. May the Force be with you. Bye. May the Force be with us.